Have you ever been in a conversation with someone and they are completely distracted and you know that they are not listening? They can say all the, uh-huh, yep, that sounds awesome. But they are just not there. I've got to be honest with you. Sometimes I've done that with my wife. She's talking and I'm not really concentrating. I've got something else in my mind or something else happens. And, and the realistic thing is I'm not there. <laughs> Or if you, if you ever had a dog before and you're trying to either train a dog or you're uh, doing something with the dog and all of a sudden either a butterfly or a bird flies past out of the corner of their eye and whatever they would concentrate on now they turn to whatever that was. And concentrated is, the concentration is distracted and you lose them for a second. Or if you've ever been in a, an activity for such a period of time and all of a sudden you start running on autopilot. I don't know how many times I've been driving down the road and uh, you have to go one way and you end up going a completely different way. It's almost like you go on autopilot. You have this thing called a subconscious as well as a conscious mind. Your conscious mind is right here in front of you. Your subconscious is by memory. And sometimes we can automatically function in our subconscious or our memory, our muscle memory, and just do something by automatic like autopilot. That's where the, uh-huh, yes dear, uh-huh, sounds awesome dear, comes into play. I don't know how many times I've watched TV and my wife's tried to talk to me and I'm concentrating on what's happening on the TV and I miss completely what she says and she says, um, so what do you think of this? What? When did you tell me that? But sometimes we can just be distracted with what's going on around us. We are just not there at that point in time. We are concentrating on something else. If you didn't know, men's brains work completely different to women. Men's brains, it's almost like, the best way I can describe it, it's like a warehouse. We have boxes. And we have a box written for something. And it might be one of your hobbies. And we have a box written for something else, maybe for work. And we have a box written for home life, maybe a box for this, and a box for the car. It's like a warehouse, it's standardised, it's pretty easy to follow. We even have a box called the nothing box. And this is a box that you and I have, the, or any man has the ability to function in and think about nothing. And it is true, ladies, I tell you straight up, there is a box and it does say nothing on it. That's how men can go fishing for hours and hours and hours and hours. Because we're thinking about nothing. <laughs> yeah, that's right, catching nothing, <laughs> fishing for hours... Because we're in the nothing box. <laughs> so when you ask your husband, uh, wives, what are you thinking about? And they say nothing. They are telling the absolute truth. They are thinking about nothing because they've just rocked into the nothing box. <coughs> Women's minds are a little bit different. Everything is attached. This box is attached to this box. And it's attached to this box, but the first box is attached to that. There's another box and they're all attached and this one's attached. That's why women have this ability to go on a conversation and start to pull different things from different boxes. If you've ever been in an argument with, you, with your wife, you seem to find things coming back that are completely irrelevant. It's because that's how they think and they process. They seem to pull things from everywhere. And they do not have a nothing box. That's why they can't fish for very long. Or well, some women, I suppose, probably can, can go fishing, but after a while they get bored because they've got stuff to do or they've always got something on their mind. The way my wife functions, she is always thinking. And I can tell when she's thinking, because she can hear the clogs. 
or the cogs going. And they say, what do you think about darling? Oh, stuff. This and that and this and that and this. And there's a whole list of things. It's like, how on earth can you think that so many things? And that's why women think they can do multitasks. I just want to break it to you, ladies. Multitasking is a, f- a myth. You can't actually do two things at once. You're all there thinking about it, thinking about how you can, but you can't actually. The brain doesn't function like that. It's the way you think. So I'm continuing. I'm, yeah, I want to get something thrown at me before. I'm just thinking one Okay. So I'm continuing on my series on such a great cloud of witnesses. And today we're talking about a very well-known character, but I'm going to bring it right to one point in his life. We're going to do a bit of history straight up to one point, and then pull something out of that one point that hopefully will change the way you see things and change the way you think. That character is the fellow named Moses. If you didn't know about much about Moses, Moses was a Hebrew who for the very various 40 years of his life thought he was an Egyptian. At the time of Moses' birth, Pharaoh ordered the killing of every child under two years old. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Every child that was under two years was killed. That was all part of a plan to actually bring down the ability for the, the Israelites to bring war against the Egyptians. You have more men, you have more soldiers. You have more soldiers, you can have anarchy on your, on your own turf. But Moses' mother decided to put the little baby into a little basket and float him on the Nile and his sister, Moses' sister, which is Miriam, watched over him. And we all know the story that at one point in time, Pharaoh's daughter spots it, brings it forth, gets, well, she gets her servants, girls to go out, swim in it, grab the basket and bring it in. And Moses ends up being brought up in Pharaoh's palace under the watchful eye of the Pharaoh's daughter fed and cared for by Moses' own mother. But this was all a part and a process that God was setting up to develop Moses in who he needed to be and what he needed to understand in order to do what he was called to do. Most of us know the story of Moses that at 40 years old he, he sees or he starts to learn about that he is not actually an Egyptian, he is a Hebrew. And he sees one of the Egyptians beating one of the Hebrew slaves and he obviously steps in. And he kills that Egyptian soldier and kills that Egyptian person that was beating his fellow Hebrew. And that Egyptian dies and so Moses does the bolt. And he ends up in the wilderness. Now, if you don't know much about the wilderness, wilderness is a place we all go to at some point in time in our life and we go there on a regular basis. It's a process of drying us out, removing things that don't need to be there and so we can focus on who he is and develop our relationship. Moses spends the next 40 years in the desert. He gets married and he becomes a shepherd. All part of the training. Now Moses knows about the cultures, 
about the beliefs, he knows about the systems, the political systems, all about the Egyptians. And he gets placed in a, a wilderness to change his thinking and bring him into a new concept of revelation. Now he's actually looking after sheep. And if you didn't know much about us, we are very close to sheep. We are referred to by God as sheep. That Jesus is our shepherd and that we are sheep. The reason why is we have this tendency to follow each other. We have a tendency to mimic or, or do things that everyone else is doing. Very f- f- We're not very innovative, if I put it that way. That's not degrading us. That's just a perspective. And so God actually teaches Moses how to be a shepherd. How to look after sheep. Because later in life he's going to need that skill. But this is where Moses actually gets to experience a miracle. He gets to experience God speaking to him through a bush that does not burn. Through the burning bush experience. That's the first miracle. Moses then gets to experience when he's called back to go to Egypt to release the Hebrew slaves. He gets to release different miracles. When his staff turns into a snake. The 12 plagues of Egypt. And finally, after all that, the the Hebrews are then released. And Moses... Now, you've got to understand numbers because the Bible says that there were 500,000 men. That's not including women or children. So we can sort of guess that there probably would have been, give or take, anywhere between 1.2 to 1.5 million people. And Moses is leading these 1.5 million people out of Egypt into the desert. So you can start to see that everything God has been planning for Moses is leading up to this point in time. We see the other miracles when the Red Sea was parted and the Egyptians were all killed. Everything that God does in Moses' life is, is obviously to show who he is. Everything is timed down to the exact moment that's necessary. But God brings Moses to a place called Mount Sinai. And Mo, sorry, God actually calls Moses up the mountain. He says, come up here. In history, we can understand that actually Moses is called up the mountain eight times. Eight different times Moses climbs this mountain. And I can tell you, it wasn't one of those little hills that is nice and comfortable, that is, you know, a little chain and steps. It's this rugged, raw mountain. There would have been times when he would have been like cliffhanger, climbing up the mountain. Maybe times when he really needed that staff to carry his weight. It wasn't this, this nice little stroll. Hey, let's go for a walk. It would have been this very rugged mountain. A very raw and untouched mountain. Well, there are certain things in there that you need to understand that whenever you get called up to a mountain, it actually represents a high place. It represents a place where God is saying, I am here, it's time for you to come to me. In the whole experience of those eight encounters that Moses has, he receives the Ten Commandments, 
but he also receives the 613 laws that we now know as Judaism. If you had problems keeping the 10, wait till you read the 613. And there are moments in the, in the relationship between God and Moses that it becomes very, very strange. But there is a time that God calls Moses. And in Exodus 24, 12, it says, The Lord said to Moses, Come up to me on the mountain and wait there, that I may give you the tablets of stone with the law and the commandments, which I have written for their, which is the Israelites' instructions. And until you actually go back to the original Hebrew and start breaking down the actual words that are written there, you don't fully grasp what God is saying. The words wait there aren't an accurate translation. When we go back to the Hebrew, it says be there. The Lord said to Moses, come up to me on the mountain and be there. I don't know if you fully grasp what's taking place just in those words. But of the eight times that Moses has gone up there, the first time would have been maybe a little bit of excitement and a whole bunch of nervousness, not knowing exactly what's going to take place. Because the way they related to who God was and what he was doing was completely different to how we fully understand it. Moses would have climbed the mountain Maybe a little bit panicky, nervous, not knowing what's going to fully take place. Maybe a little bit of excitement that he's been picked out of a few. But I can assure you by the first couple of times of being up there and getting used to it, we can become, that's the word I'm looking for, familiar. That's the problem that we as Christians have. Once you turn up to church for your first time, it's completely different to when you've been here for 10 years. You can become so familiar with what is around you and what is taking place, the programs, the systems, the procedures of how certain things work, that we can become familiar with God. That means I, I know, oh yeah, that's God. But I've lost the edge, that excitement, that nervousness, maybe even a little bit of reverence of who God is. But when God calls Moses on this time, he says, be there. Be in the moment with me. Concentrate on what we're doing. Focus on what is actually happening. Don't get distracted by the birds or the butterflies. Don't get distracted by what's happening around you, maybe the weather, the clouds. Be there. Come up to me and be there. See, we can become so familiar like in through worship. We sing a song that we've sung maybe a hundred times and we've heard it on the radio or on the CD or on the, the car stereo or whatever and it just becomes another song. Oh yeah, we know those words. But we can so become too familiar with what is said that we lose the fact that we can be in God's presence. We can actually be there. Sometimes it's hard to, to concentrate. I'll be honest, I, I'm probably going to cop this later, but anyway, sometimes it's even hard to concentrate with my wife sometimes because so much is happening around us. We've got children, we've got bills to pay, right? We've got a church to run, we've got this and this and that. 
And those times that we can actually find to actually get away and spend time with coffee, it can be hard to concentrate on just that moment in. Be there. And you have to peel yourself away with whatever's happening. Drop the concerns, drop the worries, drop the hassles, drop the stresses, drop the anxiety, and be there. As, as, the longer you're married, the more familiar you can come, right? I don't know if you've ever heard, they always call it the seven-year itch, right? It's approximate time. When you become, you know, like in that, f- that first 12 months, nothing that person does is wrong. They are perfect. You know, they're like an angel that comes from heaven. Some of you wise men, after 20 years, will still say that. Um, But eventually you get to the point where you're so familiar with that person that you can just have this expectation that they'll be there. And you you forget about, hang on, no, no, we, we need to concentrate on intimacy. And our intimacy is not just physical. It's spiritual and emotional. See, this is, this is my wife. This is my partner. right? This is supposed to be my best friend. I'm supposed to know more about her than anyone else on this planet. How she thinks, how, what she likes to eat. Well, that's simple, isn't it? Everyone knows that one. Chocolate. <laughs> and there are times when I have to pull myself away from whatever's taking place. I have to try and empty my mind and just be there. Because she wants my full attention. Right? And I want her full attention. And just like this relationship, it's the same thing. Because this is why God actually gave us marriages. It's the closest thing you have to your relationship with God. Everything that's supposed to happen here, is supposed to happen here. You're supposed to value marriage. And if, if unfortunately that hasn't quite worked out, then you know what? There's, there's no condemnation here, but you're supposed to value the marriage because if you struggle with valuing the relationship you have, how on earth do you value the relationship you have? And so often we can become familiar. This expectation, oh, it's all right. Mel will look after that. Mel can do that. Oh, yes. I hope Mel's picking up the kids today. <laughs> huh? We lose sight of just being there. See, familiarity is, is a dangerous tool. You can be so familiar with your work that you, you miss the concept of why you're actually there. When you've done a job for so long, you get so used to the process that you almost become like furniture and you forget to be there. You almost run on sort of like autopilot. And we become so familiar with who God is. Oh yeah, that's God. That's what he does. This is what I need to do. We're cool. But it is a relationship. And God wants to spend time with you and he wants to talk to you. He wants you to read the Bible. And as you're reading the Bible, he wants to speak to you about his word. He wants to speak to you about all the people that have gone before you. That's why we do this. That's why I'm doing this series about the great cloud of witnesses. See, we're not alone. Everything that we get to experience, someone else already did. And they wrote about it. 
And they put it in a book for you. And so you could learn, oh, you know what? I've missed it. I need to get back to the basics. And you know what? I just need to be here. Every time we come to church, we need to be here. It can't be this system of being flick, autopilot. We need to be here. We need to be here in our families. Because look, my kids, I noticed a little while ago, it's so easy to get caught up with these little tools. You know? Phones, iPads, computers, TVs. And not be there for your kids. It's something that I have to constantly remind myself. And sometimes I fail miserably and sometimes I succeed. Sometimes I can turn it off and put it down and go, yes, what can I do? What's, how is your day? What's going on? My son at the moment loves aeroplanes, paper aeroplanes, and he shows me all these new designs. Oh, look, well, I did this and this and this and this. He throws them around the house and plays and whatever. But be there. See, we can pull so much out of Moses' life. Every one of the experience was for a greater purpose. But sometimes it's the simple little things that God wants to speak to us about that just come up the mountain and be here in my presence. Come up to the mountain and be here because I want to speak to you. I want to talk to you. I want to get to know you. I want to see how your day was. And you know what? The totally truth, God already knows. But it's not about that. It's about that he wants to be there with you. He wants to speak to you. He wants to hear it come out of your mouth. See, the Bible says that God already knows the words before they leave your lips. But it's not about that. It's not about you thinking in your mind. It's not about you saying, oh, I don't have to say it because God already knows it. It's about you saying it and building that relationship and developing that relationship. Building that understanding with each other. Developing that, that love and affection that connection, and more importantly, that intimacy. Be there. When God called Moses up, he called him up to a high place. And he called him up to a high place and said, I want you to be there. Why? Because Moses had been a little bit familiar he have been chosen one of approximately oh, millions to come up in God's presence and to be there. And how it changes today is the fact that we don't need a million people. It doesn't matter if there's ten, it doesn't matter if there's five, it doesn't matter if there's two. God wants you to call you up to a high place where you can be there in his presence. Where you can be there and talk to him, experience him, get to know him. Now I know we have kids running around. And during worship, sometimes it can be easy to be distracted. I want the kids in the church. I want the kids to feel comfortable in the church, even if they're a little bit rowdy. Because they need to experience. And the only way they learn is from what us or we do. At our, our Christmas party thing last night, I, was, I always chuckle. Like I, I don't say something. I see a lot, but say little, if that makes sense. And watching other people care for other people's kids, picking them up and looking after them. 
This is who they connect with. They learn about different people. They learn about God through different people. There was one point in time that Faye was holding uh, one of the wolf children. Oh, that's right, because she was, uh, Aaliyah was a little bit upset. You know? And she was comforting him and guiding her. Well, don't know, did, did you actually accomplish what you... <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's awesome. That's, that's good. It's always good when a plan work comes together, right? Well, Aaliyah will learn about God, not just from her parents, but from, the, from all the other people in the church. I know Mel looks after it sometimes. Esty looks after it sometimes. I don't even know who else. I know uh, Elise looks after it sometimes. Right? And I know Tad does. No. This, is the, this is the way people learn. They learn. Kids learn about how to deal with adults from other adults. Kids learn how to relate to other people from other people. Kids learn about the importance of church and the relationships they establish from other people in the church. So don't let those get things get distracted. Right? I know what it's going to be. And, and then, then I come along and I blow something out of the speaker and you know, it create, makes it hard, right? And sometimes it can be hard to be there. But it's important that we are constantly trying. I know when I was reading this week, I had a whole bunch of stuff going through in my mind, thinking about different stuff. And I was reminded of what this was. I was like, you know what? I've got to read this Bible where my mind is concentrating on what I am reading and what God wants to speak to me about. And I need to be there. And then the kids wake up. My son wakes up at the crack of dawn, 5 o'clock. He's got an inbuilt alarm system. And he starts speaking to me. And I got to politely say, you know what, son? I need some time. I will speak to you until the cows come home afterwards. But this is me, time with God. I need to read my Bible. I need to spend time with God. And you may say, well, that's a little bit harsh. But he needs to understand that this is important that this is the time that I spend time with God. He won't learn to understand that this is my time with God. He won't learn to understand that he needs to spend time with God just by me saying it. He will see it. Kids don't do what you say. They do what you do. If you want to raise your child well, live well. My endeavour, I say endeavour, It's to be the man that I would allow my daughter to date. That's straight up. I am looking forward, and this is a long way away, because she's only seven. So it's at least another 40 years, right? When she tells me I, there's, there's somebody. You know, my first question is, what church did you go to? Who's his pastor? Because I'll ring him up. I want to talk to him. Huh? I want to know what he does. I want to know what he's like. That doesn't mean that I won't let him in the house. Oh, and, and you've got to believe it. I will be taking him for a walk. We will go do something. Hey, Brad. <laughs> Don't spoil it. Sometimes you don't have to say everything. Less is always better. 
but I'm trying to mimic what I want my children to see and that I want my children to go further than what I can. But in order to do that, I have to know who my God is. I have to develop my relationship with God. I have to build in me more than what I have at the moment. I learned this skill. I grew, I grew up in a broken home and my, my, I haven't had a lot to do with my father. Um, so I haven't had the greatest example of what a father should be. And when I, became, when I got, I don't know, born again, became a Christian, I started looking for information. And I started learning from men who were greater and wiser than I was. I started getting information. And I learned this little thing. If I only live with the information I have, my children can only rise to the level I'm at. But if I want my children to grow higher, I need to go higher in my information, my understanding, my revelation, and then I need to imply to them or teach them to go higher than I can by getting more information. And then hopefully the system keeps working and their children do the, do the same and their children's children's children do the same. And sooner or later you've started a legacy where your children are undoing all the rubbish that happened before you are now moving forward to everything they've actually got. Or because you decided to make the decision that I am going to be there. It's not complicated. It's just got to be a simple concept. Say, you know what? I want to be there. I want to be there for my children, but I also want to be there with God. I want to be to that point where I'm not so familiar with God that I can work out the systems without actually being in his presence and being there that my distractions don't become greater than my opportunity to be there. Simple. We're going to pray. We've got morning tea and there's tea and coffee. There is no condemnation in Jesus Christ. There's this funny word, it's called conviction. And when we read the word, we should be convicted by what it says. Not convicted that we're not good enough, but convicted in the concept of saying, you know what? I can be better. I can do this better. Because there is always, because no one's perfect, right? So we can always do things better. There's always a better way to do something. We're going to pray, but uh, before that, you know, I just want to let you know that Faye has actually got an opportunity tonight, this afternoon, tonight, four o'clock, which she is speaking in another church, which is is awesome. And... uh, so we're going we're gonna to pray over her and just uh, bless her and release her so she can go do that and walk in the fullness that God has for her tonight. Uh, and then we're going to pray and close the meeting and then we're tea and coffee in the morning tea and everyone uh, can sit and chat and do whatever you need to do. And if you're a visitor, we would love to have you to fill out a visitor card. That's just for our records. Uh, and then we like to make contact with you, connect with you and catch up with you. And then you can ask us any questions. Um, if you have anything you want to ask or you want to know more about the church, who we are, what we do, then we get, that's a time that we can connect with you. And that, um, yeah. But uh, stay, have a tea and coffee on us. Uh, this morning tea, someone bought those rum, those rum balls? What are they? Chocolate ball things? They're not the Swedish ones, are they? They're really bad.
because you can't just have one. But uh, yeah, so we're, we're going to pray over Faye, and if you just want to bow your heads and or reach your arms out to Faye, Father, we just we lift up Ray, uh, Rick, and Faye. Father, we thank you that you give us opportunities to share whatever you're doing in our lives. So, Father, right now we just bless Rick and Faye. And as they go and step into this opportunity tonight, Father, we just ask you that you will just release your fullness upon them, through them, with them. Anoint the words that come out of Faye's mouth. Encourage those who are listening. Inspire them, Father. So we release her tonight and walk in the fullness of who she is and the anointing that you have placed on her life. Guide her words, guide her heart, direct her, bless her. Let it be a time that she fully connects with who you are and what you want to do. Thank you for her heart. So we just anoint her, we bless her and release her tonight to do whatever you've called her to do. Go with the fullness of our blessing and our support. Father, we lift us up today. And Father, we thank you that simple words can be found in your words. Just be there. Father, help us not grow too familiar and lose sight of the bigger picture of who you are, that you love us with an everlasting love and that you simply just want to be there with us. And those times that you call us away or the times that we're in that word or the times we're in worship, Father, help us be there with you. Help us not grow so familiar with your presence that we lose sight of who you are and that you love us. Father, we speak a blessing and a favour upon each one of us. We'll have a phenomenal week. We'll walk in your favour. Walk knowing that we are your children, that we are loved, that we are blessed, that we are set apart, that we are anointed. Father, open up the doors that need to be opened up. Father, we speak jobs for those looking for jobs. We speak promotions. We speak bonuses. We speak pay increases, promotions, whatever's necessary, Father. Open up doors. Bless your people. Bless your people, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.